Artificial intelligence continues to be a hot-button topic. We hear about what the general public and artists think about AI, but what do technology experts and data engineers think about artificial intelligence? In this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we bring on the founder and CEO of OtherWeb, Alex Fink, to discuss artificial intelligence. Alex goes over the different types of AI, the good, bad, and ugly of this technological advancement, and what his company does to help others make sense of the overwhelming amount of human and AI-generated junk on the web. Do you know what an AI expert is concerned about when it comes to artificial intelligence? You want to stay tuned? It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, Navigating the Explosion of Internet Junk, a conversation with an AI expert with guest Alex Fink. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look. Whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back, listeners. Today we have Alex Fink with us to talk about artificial intelligence and just geek out about AI. We're glad to have you here, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I've been building perception systems and other tech for about 15 years. At some point, it has dawned on me that the world does not need more cameras, imaging, computer vision, or any of that stuff. And I decided to focus on what I consider is a much more pressing problem, which is that we're all drowning in information and failing to make sense of it. And so about a year and a half ago, I started a company called OtherWeb focuses on cleaning the junk out of the web and helping people consume higher quality information. So we're a public benefit corporation. Our charter says information quality is more important than anything else, right? Because we don't want to start like some other companies that start with a mission to organize the world's information and end with maximizing next quarter's revenue, right? We want to actually stay true to the mission. We have a website that is essentially an aggregator of content, news, commentary, podcasts, mm -hmm. all sorts of content from all around the web. And we use AI to filter things out. We also have Android and iOS apps, and we also have a new web. Basically, every way in which you like to consume mostly written content, we try to provide it and give you the tools to filter the junk out using our AI models. I know there's a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence now. It's in the news, it's in various commentary, but people seem to have different understandings of what AI is. Alex, why don't you share, how would you define artificial intelligence or AI? So I would probably define it as a set of methods that create software in a different way, right? The traditional way in which we created software before the 80s were we gave it a bunch of rules to follow. If this, then that, right? 
the way that we are creating it in the AI paradigm is essentially we build a little brain and then we start showing things to that brain and training it to learn to infer things on its own, right? And there are two general ways in which it can do that. And you can think of a child as an analogy, right? The two basic ways in which you can teach a child to tell, let's say, the difference between a dog and a cat is you can hold the child by the hand and show it dog, cat, dog, cat, dog, cat, right? And after a while, the child can tell the difference between a dog and a cat, right? And then the other one is you just send the child into the world. And after 20 years, the child learns something on its own. And so those are called the supervised model and the unsupervised model of training an AI model, right? So most of what we do is supervised. So let's say we have humans annotate 10,000 articles, clickbait, not clickbait, not clickbait. And then we teach the model to do what an editor would do and figure out if this clickbait headline or not. And the way that GPT-4 works, for example, is they just fed it to the entire internet. And whatever it learned from looking at the entire internet is what it knows right now. Now, after that, there is kind of a stage that replaces supervision where they then started asking it questions and it provided two versions of the answer and the human would tell it which version's better. And that actually lasted nine months with GPT-4, right? And so there is some human input post hoc, but the actual language model just consumed the entire internet and inferred stuff. Wow, that's a lot of information there when you think about the size of the internet. Now, you mentioned chat GPT on there. Are there other types of artificial intelligence out there that people have either built or are in the process of building? So there are a lot. Chat GPT is not even the model. It's just one application on top of the GPT-4 model, right? That makes it a two-way chatbot. But... GPT-4 can be used outside of this chat interface as well. Mm -hmm. And that is just the unsupervised model created by one company called OpenAI. But Google has its own version created by a company called DeepMind that they acquired a while back. And now they rolled it out as a competitor to ChatGPT. It's called Bard. And then Baidu has their own version. And I'm sure everybody is going to have their own version in some sense, right? And then you have a bunch of more narrowly focused application like ours. You can find AI software that writes blog posts for you. You can find AI software that essentially performs any task that you can think of. I would start thinking about this in terms of if it can be taught, it's not worth learning anymore because it can be taught to AI as well. Right? Any task that you can teach by following a particular program, AI is going to be better than a human app. Got it. I was immediately thinking of like Siri or Alexa, where you give them the voice commands and they can go through and either read their emails to you, which is its own level of sophistication, or add something to your calendar. So we're going from those basic models all the way up to now where it's able to generate different types of things based on prompts. But you can also separate in your mind the application from the underlying logic. So something like Siri can be paired with something like ChatGPT, where Siri essentially just provides the voice interface and transcribes your voice into ChatGPT commands. And under the hood, it could be ChatGPT right now, right? Application and model are separate in some sense with those kind of generic models that can do many things. Again, if the model is only created to do one thing, 
let's use Google as an example. The first thing DeepMind did that became public was create AlphaZero, a bot that plays chess way better than any human in history and any computer in history. And I can even say as a former chess player that when I look at the way AlphaZero played, it's a human. It's just a really good human, right? All the computers that played before it, which were already better than humans, they were recognizably machine-like. Their game was weird, right? But AlphaZero, which was trained in this paradigm of just ingesting a lot of stuff, playing against itself, things like that, I could not tell the difference. This looks like a classic game. How did I miss it? It looks like one of the brilliant games of the 1970s or something. And I couldn't tell the difference style-wise. I couldn't tell that it's a computer playing. So I think that the same can happen with every discipline where we think that creativity is uniquely human, but at some point, once AI gets to the point where we can't tell the difference, is it really important that it's not really creative, right? Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. It's like what defines human creativity versus machine creativity. One of the things I've seen when researching AI and looking at the various discussions is the data that goes into the model. Now, you've shared yeah. that ChatGPT had the entire internet. There was others that would scrape various websites out there. For instance, I think the name of the platform is called Lenza was mm -hmm. the app where their underlying model was scraping its stuff from areas where there was copyright protection. So when looking at AI and feeding the AI, what are your thoughts about the issues that are coming up when it comes to intellectual property and how that can play a factor? It's going to be adjudicated in the courts pretty soon, I think, because one of the first things that ChatGPT became famous for is Within a few months of its release, CNET started publishing articles that were apparently written by ChatGPT, but not telling anyone. It was just under the names of one of the journalists. And then as soon as they made that fact public, somebody went back and looked at all those articles, and it turned out they were all essentially plagiarism. Oh, wow. So one of the problems with these models is there is a separation between training and inference. At the training stage, it ingests data and learns to do things. At the inference stage, you just ask it to do something right now in real time. And to avoid copyright violations and plagiarism, you actually somehow need to connect those two. And then during inference, to have the model look back and say, okay, I can't really use this paragraph as is, even though I consider this to be the best answer because it's too close to the original that I was trained on. So it needs to start connecting that, which is something that humans, I guess, typically do, but models, their memory is too perfect. And so they almost need to make their own recollection slightly worse. That in itself might be something that we'll need to adjudicate. What constitutes copyright violations in that world where a model was trained on something, but now it is actually generating this in real time. It doesn't have its training material handy right now. And yet it's giving you word for word something that it read and somebody else. That's one issue. Now, the other issue is training data itself, right? So when I say trained on the entire internet, obviously I'm oversimplifying. I assume, but I cannot know for sure, that they didn't scrape Reddit because Reddit's terms of service do not allow it. That they didn't scrape Yelp or Quora because their terms of service do not allow it. How sure am I? Not really. In fact, I would say 
it's likely the case with OpenAI because they seem to be nice guys, but it's probably not the case with Baidu because they're probably not nice guys. And so it might vary a lot as well. It could be that if everybody's using roughly the same technology to train these models, then whoever has access to proprietary data sets is going to have an advantage because everybody can train their models on the open stuff, but whoever makes a licensing deal with Quora and Reddit, for example, they'll have an advantage because they'll have more data than everybody else and their data will be unique. I don't know if that is true. I also don't know to what extent data quality matters and not just data quantity. One of the reasons that when you use ChatGPT, it would often hallucinate and say nonsensical things is it was trained on the internet and the internet has a lot of nonsensical things in it. <laughs> and so the question is, if you want a model that actually knows what is true, do you need to somehow filter the input to that model so it doesn't learn from things that are false? I don't know. That's a science question and I'm just an engineer. That's a lot of different ethics things and hopefully the courts and uh, legislation will help with fine tuning that. So with all this stuff that's going on, let's delve into the spirituality question on here because I, I hear both sides on it. Do you see AI as being good or evil? Neither. I see it as an instrument, like a kitchen knife. You can make a salad with it. You can stab someone with it. So the knife itself is not good or evil, right? Yeah, exactly. That's an important aspect on it. The biggest thing that we're seeing right now is people being afraid AI is going to steal their jobs, especially when it comes to creatives who are afraid that AI-generated art is going to basically take away potential buyers from their works. What are your thoughts and insights on that? How do you see that playing out? It will definitely happen. The question is in what order. And so I think we are both not worried enough and worried too much, depending on which part of the market you're looking at. My personal guess, but this is just a prediction and we don't make very good predictors in general, but my personal guess is that routine mental labor is easier to replace. And oddly enough, that includes software engineers, or at least the bottom 90% of software engineers, right? That includes lawyers. That includes diagnosticians, at least the diagnostics part of being a doctor, right? That includes many of these accountants, let's say, right? So many of these professions that you don't really do them, or again, software is kind of exception, but let's say law. You don't practice it until you go to law school, right? You go to law school and they teach you how to practice law. So if you become a contract lawyer after law school, you're a trial attorney, you don't need to convince people, you just need to do things right. Then chances are you're replacing, and it's pretty easy. Art is probably slightly more difficult because you have to sell it to humans and humans care about the origin quite a bit. And so unless you lie about the origin, chances are people will still be paying more for human-created art than for AI created. Plus human-created art will be more scarce because for every painting that a human can make, AI can make thousands, right? And scarcity tends to determine price, right? And then once you get to physical applications, like can you apply something that behaves like a brain with something that can actually control limbs, let's say, and replace a human, right? I think that might actually come last in some sense because the physical world is much messier than a purely intellectual world. And so robots, I know there's a lot of excitement and I know they are really good in manufacturing and some other aspects, right? But it's still 
extremely difficult to make a robot that consistently opens doorknobs, right? So really simple tasks that every human can handle are really difficult for robots. And so I see those as being potentially last. And that also means that when companies try to make a self-driving car, it seems to me like AI is the easy part of their problem, right? But the hard part is how do you actually navigate the real world, connect, collect accurate information? Like I spent 15 years of my life making cameras and other systems like this. And I can tell you, you can't really trust what you get from the camera, right? And so if you're trying to make real life or death decisions on the basis of input that you can't quite be certain of, at some point you might get into weird corner case. Maybe Elon Musk is right and you can get to the point where you have less weird corner cases than the amount of mistakes humans make. But A, we're not there yet. And B, those corner cases will be so weird and they will create so much uproar that even if statistically AI is a safer driver than humans, humans will still not trust it because at least they can predict human mistakes. They cannot predict the kind of things that AI might do. I have a friend who turned on autopilot mode in the Tesla in the rain and the Tesla just went into the middle separator and totaled it, right? I love Teslas. My wife drives a Tesla, right? But we did not buy the self-driving package. I don't trust that part of it. I just <laughs> like the car. As soon as you were starting to go down that line of AI plus physical interactions, I immediately thought about the Tesla self-driving vehicles and how it hasn't quite gotten to the point of being able to detect a small child in the road, that level, which is like, that's rare, but it's kind of significant. You kind of have to have that down before letting that out into the world. But even once you get past that, there are things that happen on the road that essentially cancel everything you know about driving. But as a human, you recognize this concept, right? You see somebody dressed in your uniform waving their arms, it overrides in your mind any rules of driving that you learned before, and you follow the guy in the uniform waving his arms, right? For a car to learn to do that, it's pretty difficult, right? It learns certain rules, it's supposed to follow them. Now that we've gone through a lot of the ones that I've heard, what concerns do you have when it comes to the evolution of AI? My main concern within the small niche that I'm trying to fix, which is the quality of information on the internet, is that generative AI makes it much easier to generate junk. And humans are already generating a lot of junk. If now you take any, let's say, guy that writes clickbait articles for a living, until now, he could write maybe 10 articles per day. Now with ChatGPT, he can write probably 1,000 articles per day with the same level of effort, right? So I think that unless we develop tools to filter it, even if we are relatively sane now, which is questionable, right? But we <laughs> definitely won't be sane two years from now. We have to develop this filtering mechanism. So that's why we are working on it. Though we started before AI was a big threat, right? Humans were enough of a threat in this regard. So that's one thing that really concerns me. I'm just looking at big transition periods in history where, let's say, the invention of the printing press democratized publishing, right? And what followed is 200 years of witch hunts, inquisitions, and 52 religious wars all over Europe. And then eventually we get an enlightenment, right? But I'm worried about the transition period because this time we have nukes. And so I'm hoping it takes us less than 200 years to get to the next enlightenment and actually 
reap the benefits of these new platforms, the internet, AI, et cetera, because I think there's a serious risk. We'll just go crazy and destroy ourselves in the transition. That's an interesting point you bring up about the printing press and what the big books that happened after that were, were the books about how to identify a witch. Hammer of Evil. Yes, Hammer of Evil. Yes, that one. And now we're having it where we're further democratizing the internet by having it where people can quickly get their thoughts out. But at the same time, not all of those thoughts are worth listening to, at least on a broad audience. So that's where you start getting into what sort of things are going to come up from this. And hopefully, yeah, our big thing right now is nukes or being able to affect things on a global level. So hopefully we quickly move past that awkward phase and move to something that's bigger and better. So that second enlightenment, as you said. So that is my hope as well. I believe we can get to the next enlightenment, whatever that might be, but there is going to be an awkward transition phase. And the printing press is just one example, but every time we had a big invention like this, it created odd and painful transition, right? The invention of the daily newspaper is essentially what created clickbait in the first place, right? The special read all about it, clickbait, right? The invention of the radio is probably the main reason for all the fascist and Nazi regimes in Europe in the 1930s and 1940s. So you could go through a lot of this. The mechanization of agriculture is probably the result still of essentially urban poverty in the U.S. today, right? Because most of that is migrations from the South, from the agricultural zone. So transitions can be painful. We have to really figure out how to accelerate and manage this one, because this one might be the most painful yet. Yeah, exactly. Alex, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all this with our listeners here today. Is there anything else that you want to share before we go? I guess the one thing that I would urge your listeners is to treat the information they consume with at least as much care as they put into the food they consume, right? Bad food makes us unhealthy. Bad information makes us mentally unhealthy. So we need to start paying attention to what we put into our brains because there's a lot of junk out there. And like you wouldn't just eat sugar as 80% of your diet. So likewise, I don't think we should consume dance videos on TikTok as 80% of our mental diet. And there needs to be some balance and some thought put into what do we actually want. Thank you very much for that. Where can people find you online? So otherweb.com is the website version, but we also have Otherweb, the app on Android and iOS. Those are the main things. And we will come up with more and more products going forward, all with the same general mission, but trying to affect different parts of what people consume. Because the hope is, again, to just give people the tools to navigate through this new explosion of junk that is about to engulf us. Again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so, so much for having me. That was a fun discussion. I feel that the whole topic of AI is rather nuanced when it comes to the ethics around this technological innovation. Plus, there's the questions on impact, which I've seen a lot of focus on when it comes to the what-ifs and the bad. If you want my full take on it, go and check out the first episode of this podcast where I go into detail on those issues. Let's pivot to what's coming up in the next few weeks. Next week, on July 2nd, I'm bringing on Matt Garnier to discuss the impact of growing up with a faith that's centered around the belief of an end-times theology. 
and how that line of thinking can impact us as adults. The following week on July 9th, I'm bringing on Ash Burnside to talk about hustle culture, burnout, and how to stay healthy when hustle culture keeps grinding on. With that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Remember, tools are tools. A knife can both cut vegetables for eating and it can injure another person. What it comes down to is who welds it. Sometimes we fear technological advancements not because of the innovation itself, but because of the change it can bring, which sometimes is disruptive and painful at first. When we come to understand how innovation often impacts societies, we are in a better position to get past that awkward and dangerous phase quickly. However, it does mean accepting that these technological advancements are here to stay before we can start planning on how to manage their changes. With that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual speakers find our show. So do the thing.